This week on the 624, we talk about magnetic fields and little crystals, and then we talk about parent-daughter relationships and how they affect the age of the Earth. Let's get started. Welcome to the 624, the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries, taking a stand on God's Word and trusting it from the very first verse. Join us as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. Welcome to the 624. My name is Dave Napier. I am the host of the podcast and founder of Central Texas Creation Ministries and the Central Texas Creation Conference coming up on uh, October 12th this year. I keep telling you that because I want you to know about it and I want you to come because we're going to be giving a lot of good creation information in that conference. So, I hope that you guys had a good weekend. I really appreciate you hanging out with me. Of course, I know that you have a choice, and you choose to hang out with me here on the 624, and I really appreciate it. Uh, Of course, I had a good weekend. I always have a good weekend. Uh, What did I do this weekend? Oh, yeah. You know, I went out to uh, Shady Oaks, which is, of course, my favorite gun range. I went out there and uh, took care of some paper-based defenders, as I say. Uh, They actually had a grand opening. Actually, it's kind of fun because... They had a grand opening. Uh, they have a new 50-yard rifle range out there. Uh, and by the way, again, one of the cleanest, nicest, family-friendly uh, ranges around. They've had a couple of employees that were kind of old curmudgeons. But uh, other than that, but for the most part, just wonderful people. Absolutely family-friendly. Uh, great, great range if you want to go out there and have some fun. Uh, but they had to, they had this celebration of the grand opening. And uh, so they had cookies, and they had this guy selling espressos and stuff. And I thought, that's not necessarily what you want for people right before they go to the gun range, is to get jittery and hopped up on caffeine. I don't know if that's really what you want to do. Uh, looking like, you know, Barney Fife trying to pull out a gun. But uh, maybe, you know, if you have like a, a one-cup limit, so you get just enough energy to really be focused, but not enough to get jittery. So, but anyway, had a good time out there. They have great people out there. Uh, enjoyed myself. I hope you had a good weekend. And as we get into the podcast, I want to talk about kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, it's a, there's a few stories that have come out over the last few days that I want to bring up. Uh, the first one, of course, is the tragedy in Gilroy. It's the Gilroy Garlic Festival uh, shooting. Now, if you most of us have heard about this, why? Because we talk about stuff like this all the time. Uh, because we can't let it go. We got to talk about it, uh, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. Because I really want to make a point about this. So, what happened was they have the garlic festival. There's lots of security. They have a fence around the whole thing. A 19-year-old boy who I will not name uh, cut the fence and snuck in with a rifle and started shooting people. Now they think that there could have been a second shooter. Uh, as well, um, but they're looking around for they're looking for him or her or whoever, and trying to figure it out. Now, look, three people were killed in this. There was a young child killed. Tragic. Um, makes you want to cry. I mean, I, I you see the pictures of them online, uh, and then there's a younger, another like a teenager, and then a man. Now, several were wounded in the attack. Uh, several, some are still in the hospital. But the good news is, out of all of it, you know obviously a tragedy, the police were already there. And so they were able to respond quickly. And so uh, they were able to take him out before he did any more damage. But a couple of things that drives me nuts about this stuff is that it took all of not even one day before people started politicizing this tragedy. 
I mean, can we just take a week to mourn for people? Can we take a week to talk about how much we want people to uh, know that they're not alone, that we're with them as they mourn? Can we take some time for this? But no, we've got we've got people out there talking about high capacity magazines and background checks, which neither would have helped in this situation, because I tell you what, we already do background checks. Okay, it goes to a federal center where they do a background check on people. Okay, I know because I work in a place that does them, and because I've had my background check done multiple times. So the background checks are already there. Now, if you want to talk, how do we look at mental health? Now, that's a whole, another question I might talk about. But the background checks themselves, we already have them. High capacity mags, I hate to burst your bubble, but it doesn't take that long to change out a mag. Uh, one to two seconds at tops, you can go online and find some of these instructors that you blink and you miss when they change their mags. And for in somebody who's untrained, save four seconds Okay, you're not going to make a difference with this whole high capacity mag thing. Uh, there, we need to look at actual, real solutions that will work. Uh, a polite society is an armed society. I'll say that. Uh, so anyway, I know I've already lost some of you, and I apologize, but that's just my opinion, and uh, I I respect your opinion as well. We can talk through the the solutions to this. But we have people talking about high-capacity mags. We have people talking about, uh, you know, background checks. We've got people talking about uh, how he was a he was reading right-wing material that that they were trying to, you know, kind of say, well, he must have been a conservative, and so it's the conservatives' fault. They must think like this. Well, when you actually look at what he was reading, it had nothing to do with real, of actual, true conservative thought. I mean, it was. Stuff that was socialist material, anti-Semitic material, uh, racist stuff. Like it had absolutely nothing to do with what conservatives really believe. Now, I'll tell you what the second worst thing about this tragedy is. Okay, the second worst thing is we keep talking about it. They're talking about what he believed. They're talking about why he did it. Stop talking about it. Okay, two things that characterize most, almost all the last several shootings that we've had. Number one, they take place where nobody's armed, whether you're not allowed to or nobody usually is. Uh, places like churches, places of worship, festivals, movie theaters, things like this. Uh, look, these people are cowards, okay? They know they're going into a place where nobody's armed and they're going to get more shots off. If you're one of these people, are you going to choose a place where you know people are going to attack you? You know where people are going to fight back? No, you're going to go to a place where people are going to run instead of attack. That should change in our society. We need men that will attack instead of run. And I know that's that's a, a harsh thing to say when I was not in the situation. And I'm not saying that I, who knows, I may run too. I don't know. But is it a mindset that we can get? Can we have our men have that mindset, that sheepdog mentality that we will run towards the gunfire and we will stop this person at all costs to take care of family and friends and the people around us? But, of course, the media goes in uh, and wants to reveal everything. And so uh, what do they do? They actually post post all these things about the ideological books that they're reading. These these uh, shooters write manifestos and post them up, be, things like this, because they want people to know 
what they're doing and why they're doing it. They're making a point. They want to be famous. They want to make a statement, get on the news so the world will know. And that's exactly what we give them. We give them a week's worth and more of coverage where everyone's talking about why they did it and, and what they wrote about and the manifesto and blaming and pointing fingers. And, and we are playing right into their hands. Do you realize that you could take just a few major cities, probably just a few major cities across the United States, and more people die on a daily basis from attacks, whether it's beating, stabbing, cars, uh, whatever. More people die on a daily basis in just a few major cities in the United States than did at the Gilroy Festival. That many people. Now, first and foremost, what I'm not doing is I'm not downplaying the tragedy the hurt, the pain of those who are lost, the, the, those that are injured, those that are traumatized by this. You think about it, there's probably children that will never want to go to festivals again because they are traumatized by this, and that is just as tragic. But with all the deaths, with all these deaths, we don't talk about them. We don't talk about the who, we don't talk about the what, the where, the when, the why, and people are getting shot by other people. People are getting stabbed by other people. People are getting beaten and killed by other people. But we don't talk about it. So if you want to make a name for yourself, you want to make a statement that will get everybody talking, what do you do? Well, you've watched the news. You see how, how people react, the news outlets react, YouTube, Facebook, and everything. What do you do? You go grab a scary-looking rifle because you know people will talk all about the rifle. They're going to talk all about the rifle for a week or more. Okay, they'll post pictures of what rifle you use. Why? Because they're politicizing this, and they just want to show what a scary rifle you use. And so you're going to go find an emotionally scarring, scary rifle so that people are going to talk about it. You're going to be sure you post your ideas and the books you read, your manifesto. You're going to post it on Facebook. You're going to post it online because you know they're going to go find it, and they're going to tell, put it on the news. They're going to tell everybody about it. Then you're going to go to a place where there won't be a lot of armed people, where you can actually do some damage. Do you get that we're creating the beast ourselves? And that's the second worst thing. You know what the worst thing is? The worst thing is that we have continued to destroy the Word of God. We've continued to tell the people that they're nothing but an evolved animal. And we've continued to teach our children that there is nothing about the sanctity of life. There is no sanctity of life. And, that, and then we wonder how someone could do something like this. Well, we've taught them that this is okay. We've taught them that there is no consequences. We've taught them that there is no problem with it because we're all just evolved random, random chance uh, animals. This goes back to the same concept. We've created the beast ourselves. We took God out of schools. We took Christian morality out of society. And even if we teach our kids about God, we normally tell, oh, don't worry about that whole Genesis saying about how God made us, how God made us male and female, you know. We've kicked God out. And we've taught people that life ultimately has no value. We've taught them that there's no eternal consequences for what you do. We've made people who they are, and we're now seeing the logical progression or, or the tragic result of what we've done. And I want to encourage you guys, through my rant, I want to encourage you guys, most of all, to pray for the families. 
Pray for those people who've lost somebody in this tragedy. Pray for those who were injured. And pray especially for those that are traumatized by this event. Especially the little kids. I think about the little kid that got shot. And I think about the kids who are probably traumatized by this and will not want to go to a festival who will, may not want to go outside for a long time. So please pray for them. And let's come together as a community and pray for those people, lift them up, and let's talk about how we can fix this. Now, I spent a little more time on this than I meant to. <laughs> Let me just quickly go to this piece because this is under the Freedom Watch section because Google got busted. Oh, yeah, Google got busted. See, Google's been under fire lately because the, you know they've been using their algorithms or what they've alleged, people have alleged, is that they're using their algorithms to make sure that people don't see conservative content. And they've been testifying before Congress lately over the last month or so, and they've been defending themselves. Actually, a lot of big tech has. Uh, most of the time it comes down to with Google, well, it's our algorithms. You know, They're not designed to do that, but of course, nobody goes through and shows the algorithms and exactly what they do. Nobody does that because those are proprietary. Uh, well, Google got busted. It's been on the news lately. There's a ministry called Mighty Oaks that uh, they help returning soldiers recover from PTSD and trauma. Uh, obviously, a wonderful ministry. It's awesome. Uh, they are a faith-based organization. In fact, a lot of the board members are pastors, and they've been around for a long time. Uh, on the website, if you look it up, uh, I'll post it on the website uh, so you can check it out. The verse that they have at the bottom that kind of helps you understand their name uh, is Isaiah is in Isaiah sixty one. Uh, I think I think that's right, or is it Isaiah six one? I don't know if I typed this wrong or not, but anyway, uh, the verse says to restore the brokenhearted through Christ, to build leaders of leaders, to rise up from the ashes. They will be called mighty oaks of righteousness. That's a cool verse, isn't it? And it really goes to what the name of it is, you know, helping soldiers to come back and to rise up from the ashes of PTSD and, and trauma and to become a mighty oak of righteousness. That is cool. So anyway, as the story goes, uh, they've been using Google to place ads uh, on YouTube for a long time. They reach out to veterans. They reach out to donors, you know, alike. Now, of course, you know, you include keywords for your ad to target specific audiences, whether it's veteran, military, Christian, PTSD, etc. And they've been doing this for years. However, just recently, in the last couple of weeks, they had one of their ads rejected by Google. It was for unacceptable content. Whoa, Christian ministry got rejected for unacceptable content, right? Well, what was the unacceptable content? They used the keyword Christian. That was the unacceptable content, the word Christian. Uh, that's a real problem. So they went, they kind of went to YouTube and Google and said, hey, uh, what's going on with this? You've never rejected this before. YouTube responded with a, <clears throat> trying to think how to say this nicely, a dumb comment. Uh, they said, well, we have a policy that, you know, since religious beliefs are held personally, uh, that we don't allow marketing you know, you're marketing to target people based on religion. Okay. Now, there's a few problems with this. First problem is that's the stupidest answer I've ever heard of. Okay. That is marketing 101. You know your audience and you target your audience. 
that is just a dumb comment. I don't know why they thought that that would be a good comment. But anyway, why in the world would you advertise a Christian book to a bunch of atheists or Muslims? Okay, No, if you want to sell your book, you market it and target it to a Christian audience. That It wouldn't even make sense to do otherwise. I mean, it would go against every marketing principle there is. And so this was simply a sad excuse to cover up their mistake or their agenda or whatever you want to call it. Now, how else do I know this? Because problem number two is, this happened just a week ago. Okay, They've been approving their ads the same way for years. Okay, They've been doing the same thing the same way all this time. All right? And they just now rejected it. Now, of course, Mighty Oaks is a bunch of veterans. I mean, these, guys, these guys, you don't challenge veterans. These are guys who stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy, taking fire and firing back, okay? They're not going to lay down. And so what they did is they said, okay, fine. You're saying that you cannot, you will not allow anybody to target an audience based off of their religion. And so they said, okay, we're going to run the exact same ad, but instead of Christian, they used Muslim. Take a wild guess what happened. Oh, you guessed it. They approved it right away, and as of the article that I read, they still hadn't taken it down. See, Google didn't have a problem with targeting based on religion. They didn't have a problem with the word Muslim being used. They only had a problem with the word Christian being used. Now, I say this to remind you that we are in a fight for our freedom of speech. We are in a fight. You are in a fight. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm just going to love Jesus and I'm going to love people. But you're in a fight. And eventually, this fight is going to come to an area where you actually care about it. But if you wait till then, it's going to be too late. So I want to encourage you. We have a fight to fight for our freedom of speech. It limits what happens if we lose our freedom of speech. It limits our ability to preach the gospel. And if you, don't, if you think, well, that's okay, we'll still be able to do it, uh, ask how they do it in China, in Asia. Okay, This is not something we want. As Christians, we need to be speaking out, and we also need to be speaking out with our buying power, dumping Google, uh, moving, to, moving to products that are more aligned. I say more aligned because, look, all these companies are secular. This is something that you do have to kind of have a, your own conviction between you and God as to who you're going to support and who you're not going to support. Because nobody's going to line up perfectly with your morals and values. There are some companies in certain areas that will. Um, but look, if you don't think Google is bad with limiting speech, that's bad with their, their own agenda, go hit YouTube and look at their diversity policies. You will find things that will make you go, what? This? How do they allow this? Okay, uh, They are silencing conservatives. They are firing them. They are uh, berating them, harassing them. This is not good. Not good at all. So the truth is, man, the truth is we're not going to stop the degradation of society. You know, the Bible tells us to be salt. Well, salt doesn't completely stop the degradation process. It, of course, it does preserve things. It helps to preserve it, to preserve it longer. And that's what we're, we're supposed to be doing. We need to use our time wisely, though. As we preserve the society to have more time, we need to be using that time to be reaching out and changing lives with the message of Jesus Christ. So let's go to our article for today real quick. 
I know it's going to run long today. Uh, our article today is this. Ancient crystals suggest Earth's core is 4 billion years younger than the planet. Now, just with the title right there, you're like, wait, the inner core is younger than the planet itself? What? Let me read you a little bit of the article, kind of give you an idea. It is kind of an interesting article. We just won't learn much. So it says this, since Earth started life as a growing clump of rock, it's easy to assume that the core is the oldest part of the planet. But that's not quite the case. Today it's divided into two regions, a solid ball of iron in the inner core, which is surrounded by a swirling pool of liquid iron. When exactly that inner core solidified has long been up for debate, with conventional thinking placing it somewhere between half a billion and 2.5 billion years. But now with the Rochester researchers, uh, oh, excuse me, now the Ro Rochester, uh, this is a New York thing. I don't know how to say that word, Rochester. Ro is it Rochester? Is that right? Okay, you can tell me in the comments. But anyway, but now the Rochester researchers have narrowed it down to the lower end of that scale. The key to the discovery is the magnetic field that surrounds and protects Earth and measuring how it's changed over time. Now, I talk about this in my talks when I do a class on um, astronomy. I talk about the magnetic field of Earth. It's actually been decaying over time for a long time now. And so, of course, evolutionists have been trying to figure out how to prove, uh, because if it continues to decay, it's not going to last much longer. If you return it to return it, if you rewind the clock, it's going to get stronger, right? Well, it can't go back much more than 10,000 years before the Earth destroys itself. Uh, the magnetic field would wind up destroying the Earth. And so I talk about this stuff. And it's actually kind of cool. I mean, because we really do have a magnetic field. It's like we're the USS Enterprise, okay? Shields up. We have our own shield, and I love that. I think it's really cool. Uh, so anyway, they're already making a, lo a lot of major assumptions, though, when you think about it, because a, a lot of this is coming from dates. Well, how are they getting the dates? Ha-ha, <laughs> the topic of the day, right? Radiometric dating. And as we've discussed, it has flaws. It doesn't work and it can't be trusted. And so we're already off to a bad start. Let me continue on here for just a second. It says, to do so, the team collected samples of ancient crystals from the Sept-Elise complex in Quebec. Inside these crystals are tiny magnetic needles uh, that preserve a record of the magnetic field at the time that they were first locked away in the mineral. Not literally magnetic needles. But anyway, the researchers found that about 565 million years ago, the Earth's magnetic field was the weakest it's ever been, about a tenth of its current strength, and was on the verge of collapse. Since life is still here today, and we're able to go outside without being bombarded with deadly cosmetic... Uh, cosmetic... <laughs> Uh, cosmic radiation, the magnetic field obviously bounced back from that low point. But how? The Rochester team says that a newly formed solid inner core could be responsible. Ay, ay, ay. So here's the problem. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, just to point this out. Here's the problem. They're assuming the entire magnetic field strength, based on a few small crystals, Huge assumption. And how do they know how old these crystals are? Because that's how they got this whole 565 million year thing. Uh, well, ultimately, it's from radiometric dating, which we know is flawed. Because Well, it's either they tested the crystals themselves for radiometric dating, or they tested the sediment layer around it. It was in this sediment layer, so it has to be this old. 
So they're assuming the entire magnetic field strength based on just a few crystals that they believe are 500 million years old because of the three flawed assumptions they use in radiometric dating. We have a big problem. You, you, you've got this problem. Okay. Now, based off their assumptions, they believe they found this problem. Aha, the field was really weak. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Well, wait a second. We have this solid inner core. It must be that the solid inner core, and we do believe that the solid inner core helps with the magnetic field. Okay, obviously. Uh, well, it must be that the solid inner core somehow reversed this downward trend and strengthened the magnetic field. But this is simply an assumption based on an assumption, based on an assumption on several assumptions. What have we really learned? To tell the truth, not much. Uh, basically, they've made a lot of assumptions on things that they can't really prove that we don't really know. But that kind of goes into radiometric dating that we, I want to finish up today. As we wrap up on radiometric dating and the podcast itself, I want to discuss very quickly just a topic that we don't always discuss. We talked about last time that there's uh, flaws to radiometric dating. Okay. But does that mean that all science is wrong? No, it doesn't. I mean, obviously, the assumptions uh, in radiometric dating, we assume that it's a closed system. When we're testing samples, we assume that throughout all this time, there's been a no effect to the decay rate. It hasn't sped it up. It hasn't slowed it down. It's a closed system. We assume that there's been no contamination, that there's been no addition or subtraction of the parent or daughter material, which, of course, would change the dates and they assume that they know how much of each they started with. Like, if it's millions of, be of years old, supposedly, how do you know how much of each of the parent and the daughter material you started with? There's no picture. There's no uh, website profile. There's nothing. How do you know? Now, they've come up with a way to try and figure that out, but again, it's an assumption. So we need to be careful, though, because when we talk about radiometric dating, because the concept is good. You know, if the, if the assumptions were correct, the concept would be good. But we have to remember that the assumptions are not correct. For instance, when we're dating something, you assume, of course, that there's been no uh, contamination, no addition or subtraction of either the parent or daughter material. If you look at it this way, you take potassium-argon dating. So potassium being the radioactive isotope, argon being the daughter material that it decays into. If you add potassium after the initial formation of the rock, if you add potassium, you would believe that the rock was younger than it actually was because you would have more of the parent material and say, ah, not enough of it has decayed. It must be younger. Uh, likewise, if you add argon, in other words, a material that has already decayed, if you add that at the initial, after the initial formation of the rock, you would date it as older because you say, well, a whole, bunch more, a whole bunch of it has decayed, and so it must be really old. And that's exactly what happened to us. We have an example of this in Mount St. Helens. We used potassium argon testing on Mount St. Helens, and we tested rock that we knew was 10 years old. It was from one of the explosions at Mount St. Helens, uh, or the eruptions. <laughs> well, it was an explosion, actually. But we knew the rock was 10 years old. But we got 350,000 years old to 2.8 million years old based off radiometric dating. That's a big problem. One of the assumptions had to have been wrong. Well, it turns out we found out which one it was. 
they found that argon was leaking up through the volcano and actually contaminating the rock samples. It was adding argon, which meant that it looked like a lot more of that radioisotope potassium had decayed. And so it made it look a lot older. It was giving a false reading of long ages. Uh, if that happened there, why couldn't it have happened in other places? The truth is that this hap has happened to us several times. Every time we date something that we know the age, we get it wrong. Okay, But not just wrong, we get it wildly and embarrassingly wrong. I've said this before, Dave on the dance floor wrong. That's how wrong it is. Okay, and As a matter of fact, uh, I've mentioned before, I think I mentioned last time, Andrew Snelling has a talk, and I'll link this on the website. He has a talk on exactly this type of thing. He goes through secular material secular studies that show that that assumption was wrong, that there was contamination and it changed the date. So we have to be really careful. Now, the question though is, does that mean we throw out everything about radiometric dating? Do we just dismiss everything and say, well, there's just clearly no evidence that decay, there's been that much decay? Well, no, we can't do that. There is something to radiometric dating in the sense that the rocks do show a large amount of radioactive decay. And this is the part that we don't always talk about. We have to recognize that there is something to this. Now, before you think that I'm giving in you know, or anything like that, no, we just have to dig deeper. We assume that there must be something, you know, as we look at this, okay, there's something to it. We assume that there must be something that sped up the decay rates on a global scale. In other words, the Earth is not a closed system, all right? It's not a closed system, so there must be, there must have been something that sped up or slowed down the decay rate, something on a global scale that could could affect the decay rate of these radioisotopes, something on a global scale, some kind of cataclysmic event, I might suggest, that would <laughs> change the decay rates. Something that might might we talk about on October 12th. Uh, I would suggest that the global flood, when we talk about, so many people think of the global flood as 40 days and 40 nights of rain, right? We're going to talk more about that on October 12th. But the truth is, it was, it was a year-long cataclysmic event that changed the face of the earth forever. Volcanic activity, global floodings, things sitting underwater for, for a long time. I believe that that's probably where we find the problems with the decay rate, where it would have changed the decay rate. So, um, you know, I remember when I was young, and this isn't just an odd story. This really has something to do with this. Uh, I remember when I was young, my father, he was kind of a, a jokester, and I don't remember all the details. I don't remember what he was doing, per se, what the point was. But I remember he set all the clocks forward. We were asleep. He set all the clocks forward. And I think we were late to something. It was like, oh, man, we're late to something. I don't know if we need, should we go? Should we get ready? I don't know. And we're all standing around upset, you know, that we've overslept somehow. We don't understand how. And my dad looks and realizes that somehow, I, I'm sure it was one of those cheap $10 digital Casio watches, but I had a watch on. I guess I had slept with it on, uh, but I had a watch on. And it was the only clock that my father had not been able to turn, change the time on, to actually set it ahead. Now, of course, I didn't realize this. And at one point during the conversation, we're all standing around the living room, and I remember my dad 
lip lipping or what do you call it lipping? No, he mouths. He mouths. Uh, I knew I'd get it eventually. He mouths the words, "Look at your watch." I remember that distinctly. I look down at my watch, and I see the real time. I'm like, "Hey, wait a second. And of course, he gets busted. We laugh. Blah blah blah. Uh, But the idea is that all the clocks had been affected except for one. You realize that's what we find today. It turns out that when we look deeper, you find different clocks or different decay rates uh, of materials that tell a much shorter time period. They have not been affected like these other decay rates have. And that's exactly what James Johnson is going to be talking about at the conference on October 12th. He's going to be doing a breakout session on radiometric dating. He'll be taking a look at things like helium diffusion. This is one of the things we find. Uh, We understand how long it takes for helium to diffuse out of rock. Well, based on the amount of helium we have found in certain rocks, there's no way they've been around that long. The rocks themselves date longer, but the helium has not diffused out yet. And so there's a problem. There's a a Casio digital watch that's telling us something's wrong, something's different. Okay. We also look at radio halos, which are an atomic decay, uh, that also tell us the same thing. The rocks around them are giving us a long age, but the radio halos themselves tell us that the decay is much shorter, or the ages are much shorter. And that's what uh, James Johnson will be talking about. Uh, and of course, these these decay rates and these clocks expose the assumptions made by evolutionists. And so be sure you check out the conference if you want to learn more about that. And of course, I'll put some links on the website if you want to learn more about it as far as reading it before the conference, that sort of thing. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast, and I hope you're going to join us next week for more creation information. And as you finish li- finish up listening to this, Would you take a moment, could I convince you to take a moment to give us feedback, to rate, review the podcast, and maybe forward the link of the podcast to a friend, someone you thought of during the podcast, someone who doesn't know this information, or you might have talked about it. Would you... Would you just forward the link of the podcast to a friend? Because it's these things that get us in front of new people, and we want to fight for them. Okay, We want to fight for the people that don't know they need this, for the people that don't have the opportunity to hear it. They don't know about it. You know, They don't know this information yet, but they're going to light up when they hear it, just like we did. First time we heard it, we were excited. We lit up. And we want to be a part of that. Uh, would you be a part of reaching out to them? Just take a second to tell one person about the podcast. We'd appreciate it and know they will too. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I pray that God gives you the knowledge to know him and the courage to share him. Thank you for listening to The 624, the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries. Join us again next time as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. To learn more, visit our website at www.centraltexascreation.com.